Welcome to season six of the RAG podcast. Now, for those of you who don't know, the RAG stands for Recruitment Agency Growth. And this show has been around since early 2019. And every week, we are obsessed with finding out how the world's most successful and innovative recruitment agencies and their founders have got to where they are today. In season six, alongside the founder's story and the inside information of that business, I also want to focus on the reality of today's economy. There is so much noise about this inevitable recession that we find ourselves in right now. And where it's going to go, is it really having an impact on the recruitment sector? Are they seeing any change in job flow? Are they seeing any change in candidate control or activity? What is going on? I want to find out. So every single week, I want to forget the propaganda, forget the noise. I'm going to speak to a real life recruitment owner and find out what is going on in their business. I'll bring it to you every single Wednesday from 12 o'clock across multiple platforms. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the RAG podcast. On this week's show, I am joined by Ben Duffel. Ben is the managing director of MRG Group, the management recruitment group. They're a 60-person recruitment organization headquartered in London with multiple global offices. Now, why I wanted to interview Ben is he's got a really unique uh, and interesting story in our sector. He went to university at 18 years old and he quit within six weeks. Back in Essex, he then managed to get himself into a recruitment career at such a young age with Hayes, which then set him off on a trajectory to be successful in the future. Now at the age of 35, in the second business he's worked for, he's now top of the tree. He's working for the founder, he's got equity in the business, and he's the managing director. Over the last 15 years, he's built a family, he's been through ups and downs, but he's been very clear on his vision and what he wanted to achieve and how he could achieve his dreams being an entrepreneur. So many times on this show, I've interviewed entrepreneurs, the founders, the story, the guys who set businesses up. And I do not want everyone in recruitment to believe that the only way you're successful is if you leave and set your own company up. Ben has proven that actually you can be super successful by staying with a business as long as one thing happens. And that is what we're going to talk about in today's episode. So without further ado, Ben, welcome to the RAG podcast. Sean, thank you for having me. I'm really excited about talking with you today. So thanks ever so much. Pleasure, pleasure. Um, ben, I've given you an introduction there, um, but I can never do it justice. So what I'd ask you to do first, I always ask every guest, is give us an, a high-level overview of you and the business today. I don't want the historical story of you. You were going to do that. Just your role and the company as it stands, people, locations, sectors, etc. Great. Thanks, Sean. I'd be pleased to. So uh, I'm currently um, the Managing Director at MRG, uh, the Management Recruitment Group. Um, we are effectively... The management recruitment group is effectively a holdings company mm. for the the brands that we've developed over the last few years so our, our core brand is mrg that is real estate and facilities management recruitment um predominantly in the uk um and on a on a retained basis typically from technical and mid-level roles through to senior and, and executive appointments um but as a result of our core business, we've worked with organisations that have allowed us to spin off brands. So we've got a bid recruitment brand that focuses in the field of, of bids and, and work winning. 
Um, we've got um, some brands around the work we've done in education. Education has been a huge market for us over the years. So we've got a university people brand that focuses on senior managers in the university and HE sector. And we've also got a, an emerging um, schools business as well. Um, so that that's UK. And then from a from an international perspective, we've had quite a lot of success over the last three or four years growing our international footprint. So that started with an office in, in Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. Um, and we're just in the process of adding locations in, in Singapore and India as well. Wow. Um, so, um, yeah, quite exciting times in that respect. So my role has been very much um, deputy MD and then MD. My day to day focus is on the UK. Um, but I deputise for our chief exec and owner, uh, Simon, and in terms of the wider management and leadership. How many people is there across the company then? 60 people across the company at the moment, um, of which there's 45 in the UK, um, with um, the, the remainder being in KL, Singapore, Poor and, and India, right. and a couple of remote colleagues as well in other parts of the world. Right. Cool. I love that. And... You, you didn't start the business. It was Simon Cheshire, right? Simon Cheshire, yep. And Simon's still involved? He certainly is, yes. Yeah, so Simon starting the business in 2007, um, actually with, with two of his former colleagues from Hayes, uh, Robert Smith and Hal Bridgewater. Right. So they um, went away and um, you know invested heavily in, in launching the business in 2007. Um, and I joined them a year later in 2008, um, and uh, and and yeah, it's been a lifetime since. So you, how old are you now, Ben? I'm 35. Right. So you're yeah, you're, you're younger than me, and you're at the helm of a 60-person business, which is quite a big, big job, you know. Um, let's go back though. So you finished, I believe you finished. Was it uni? You finished and went straight into recruitment at Hayes. Is that what happened for you? You could, you could say I finished uni. Um, I, I I'll, I'll tell I'll tell you the story. I'll indulge me if I if you may. Um, <laughs> so, I I did my A levels, um, and the 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 plan at the time um, was to go to university, and I had a couple of options, and um, I ended up. Um, I had uh, one option was Loughborough and one option um, was was Brighton, uniquely, two quite different universities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I ended up taking the option to to go with Brighton. Um, and, it, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing, but I thought, oh, okay, you know, I really like Brighton, urban campus, sort of live on my own and and do the university thing that way. And I went there and I did a few weeks and... I was living in a house with a bunch of other guys that I'd never met before and and kind of kind of you know finding it fascinating. But I was thinking to myself that just something wasn't right. Something wasn't right. And I, I just thought, what this isn't right. I was doing a business degree, and um, you know, I think university is fantastic for so many people. Um, you know, even if you're doing a degree that might doesn't necessarily take you into that particular profession. Yeah, but for me, I just thought to myself, some, something doesn't feel right here. And after mm. a few weeks, I thought, you know, I could embark on a three or four year degree here. And, you know, I wasn't sure whether my heart was in it. Um, but I thought I'll persevere. So I persevered for a few weeks and, and I just thought this, this isn't right. So I then thought to myself, right, now what do I do? I've done my A-levels and the plan was always to go to uni. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Essex. Right. So, um, 
I grew up um, not far from South End, actually. Um, it's and, quite, a journey uh, to, quite a journey to Brighton, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Look, I, I, I think I was fairly independent. So I was the oldest of three boys. Um, my, yeah, I'd always. Uh, my youngest brother was was quite ill for a lot of my teenage years and I'd always been quite fiercely independent. So, for example, during my summer holidays, 14, 15, I'd get labouring with some of my mates' dads just because I like to earn my own money. I qualified as a personal trainer at 16 while I was doing my A-levels and worked in gyms alongside my A-levels, probably why my A-levels could have been a bit better. Um, mm. And I, I, I was always quite independent. So, Brighton, I got in my car, got down there and, and went for it. And I think in hindsight, I've had my time again, if I'd gone to a campus-based university like a Loughborough, I think I'm absolutely convinced I would have stayed there. Right. And, and ironically, I've since worked hugely with universities on recruitment campaigns over the last 15, yeah. 16 years. And I've visited most of the university campuses in the UK. And I think if I'd gone to a campus one, I probably would have been having an entirely different conversation with you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I just thought to myself, this this isn't for me. What you know, What advantage is it going to give me, perhaps naively, um, and I decided to start looking around and I was thinking to myself, well, I'm going to end up going back to Essex, London. You know, if you live in Essex, lots of people work in brokering, they're working yeah, in the shore yeah. rents because they're all into Liverpool Street and Venture Street and into the city. Mm. So I was a little bit influenced by that, but I didn't have a clue. 18 year old guy thinks he knows, you know, thinks he's he, he, he sort of worked his out life and didn't have a clue. And I, um, I was looking at all the job ads, as you do. And I thought, right, I need something that's results related, that's a meritocracy that I can just work really hard at. Because I've kind of made a bad decision going to uni. I'm on the back foot. I so need did to you actually go straight home then after a couple of weeks? I did. I probably did four to probably did about six weeks. How did, did that feel on the way back? Were you, pleased, were you pleased on the way back? Did you, you knew you'd made the right call or was there a little bit of... I knew I made the right out. call, but I felt huge pressure that I'd... You know, you do your A-levels and you're thinking, well, I'm going to uni now. Hmm. Um, and both my parents went to university. So I'm thinking, well, I'll, you know, I've failed. Yeah. You know, I've failed, but but I'm, you know, I've, I've, I've dropped out. How did um, they take it, your parents? They, they were really supportive, actually. Um, they, they, were, they were really supportive. I think the new was quite single-minded and, and I'd already sort of told them what I was going to do in terms of securing a job because I'd, I'd already secured the job at Hayes by the before I'd left uni so mm -hmm. I'd already landed the, you know so I kind of hedged my bets a little bit but I was convinced I was leaving uni but I went and got the Hayes job whilst I was leaving uni if you see what I mean so mm -hmm. yeah they, they, were, they were pretty supportive they were kind of um leaving me to 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 you know just just sort sort my own uh mess out and I was quite independent and wanted to sort that out myself so um they, they were really good um so yeah i was i was looking around thinking right well what jobs are a real meritocracy where i can come in start at the bottom but work my way up and i quickly realized that a there was huge numbers of jobs in recruitment and and b there were um it was a it was a meritocracy or it appeared to be a meritocracy <laughs> so so i applied for various jobs and i remember i was in my uni house doing a telephone interview to the internal talent person at hayes and thinking, okay, well, let's let's just go for it. And I came through that, and they invited me to the assessment centre. And so I've turned up in in Evie Gate in Victoria, nice smart offices, you know, all, all new to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's ten people in the assessment centre, and they've asked to go around the room. And out of the ten people, and this is a bit of a haze thing, I think. 
eight of them graduated, 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 graduated. They've all just graduated and they were coming off the back of. Mm. There was one person from the hospitality world later in his career that yeah. had had a really interesting career and, and obviously wanted to move into recruitment. And then there was me. So as we were going around the room, I was just thinking, what am I going to say? Um, and I broadly said what I've just told you. <laughs> Seems to go down okay. I came through the process and they invited me back for a, uh, two or three more interviews. And, and then they, they they gave me a job. Um, and, and yeah, I started at Hayes at 18 years and four months it would have been. So into recruitment as a as a young person. So that is a young a young uh, age to get to get into. Obviously, the people do, but I was 24, mm. nearly, 20, nearly 25, and I, I was a qualified school teacher. I saw you, I saw um, one of your uh, one of your sessions that you were a teacher first. Yeah, well, that must yeah, have yeah. been interesting. A teacher at, at a relatively she, early age. Yeah, in your life. teacher. So I, I I actually went to uni on architecture, and uh, within two weeks, I, I was like you. Within two weeks, I, I knew I was in the wrong place. I, I didn't. Care, I just didn't care about buildings enough. Everyone mm. was so obsessed with it, and had done it in their A levels. I wanted to be away from home. I wanted to. I wanted to be a student. I didn't really care what I was studying. If I'm brutally honest, I always play. I'd already been picked for the football team. Yeah. And then I I went and blagged my way onto a sports course because I, I had a P. I had, a, I had A levels in PE. Yeah. It was, it was the it was art or PE were the two things I was good at and I enjoyed. So I went I went for that and I got onto a sports development course, which is it wasn't PE teaching. It was like coaching and like social inclusion. And mm. I'll be honest, I hated it. I thought it was dull as dishwater, but I did it got through it just and then um got into p teaching i went into sales first hated the job i was in went into teaching and then when i got to australia i got back into te- into recruit i got into recruitment because my qualification wasn't valid out there but i did the i did the randstad assessment center so did, I did you all oh, right well i'm like, sure that yeah you can empathize with me there then he's in randstad are like light for light right and and yeah. i, I could have yeah. gone to the Hayes one went to randstad 10 people in a room same thing I remember i was doing like bd on a phone to another room and there was someone on the other end and then we'd have to write a job ad and all these different things. And I got through it. Um, but yeah, go, the one thing I think that benefited me at the time was that I was 24, 25. I'd had a job, I had life experience. So on the first day when they put me on the phone, I knew I didn't have a clue what I was talking about, but I definitely, I could converse with people pretty well. Yeah. How, how were you getting on at 18? Well, that must've been pretty difficult. Um, that's a really good question. That's a really good question. I wonder if anyone's ever asked me of that because because I'm usually probably say I'm immediately looking to compute that and and reflect. Um, you know, it sounds like you. I, I played a lot of sport through through my my childhood. Um, I, I played a huge amount of sport at school, different types of sport. I, I played football a lot, and and you know had a couple of leadership roles, football related. Um, and I'd worked in the gyms and I think the fact that I as a 16 17 year old had run gyms you know I was in some you know a small gym but I was effectively the duty manager it was you know it was one guy's running that gym for that that stint that six hour stint and I'd uh, you know I'd, I'd run personal training sessions for people you know adults frankly you know I was yeah. 16 17 18 I've qualified but I was still you know I was still a teenager really I think that forced me to, you know, to a certain extent, to being customer-facing environments. So I never really thought about it until you'd asked, but that maybe helped me to a certain extent. Um, and I think the other thing was that I thought, well, I'm at Hayes now. 
that, that they, you know, they're putting me into, they're giving me an opportunity, they've put me into a role. In my mind, I still had this, this failure thing going on about, well, I've decided to leave uni, I made a bad call. Yeah. I need to nail this. I can't then be, I can't then be leaving recruitment because then I'm, you know, I'd never like, in my mind, I'd, uh, sort, sort of growing up, I'd never really quit at anything. So I was now like, right, I need to nail this. So to be honest, I think it's probably two things. One, I was maybe actually equipped through some of the work experience I'd had from 16 to 18 and, and a little bit of, of, of growing up in sports teams and things like that. Um, and, and the second thing was actually, well, I haven't got a choice, Sean. I've got, I've got to nail this. You know, yeah. I'm just going to, even if it's a bit unnatural for me, I'm just going to force myself. But yeah, of course, I was cognizant of the fact that, you know, in that, you know, if we go back to the assessment centre, I was thinking, well, I'm up against it here. All these people have done their degrees. They've had a bit more life experience than me. And I'm kind of coming in with, um, you know, with not a lot to talk about, really. How am you I going to get through this? You just get on with yeah. it. And that, that kind of yeah. makes you the recruiter you are. So I don't, what I don't want to go into is the days of, you know, how you got into too much about Hayes, but you were there for just under three years. Yeah, that's right. Um, three years. And, and yeah, I had a really, really good time. You know, my ambition once I got into it, as you, you know, you get conditioned at somewhere like Hayes, I was like, right looking at the regional directors, looking at the directors, looking at the managing director and thinking, right, that's where I want to be. How quickly can I get there? Who's who? Who's the youngest RD? What are they doing? What's their trajectory been? So I was like, right, I want to, I want to motor. Right. Um, I found myself on the public sector business, which I really, I really enjoyed. But to be honest, it could have been anything because I was just throwing myself at it. Mm. Um, and by the time I left Hayes, I was running the public sector estates business in London. So on a date on a section manager sort of level, not a, not a director level, but I effectively was running all of the the non managed vendor um, clients because at that time the public sector was going wild for managed vendors, hmm. and Hayes um, Hayes had responded. They'd set up business units to respond to the managed vendors, but they'd left me to do what was known as the retail business. So all the organisations that hadn't gone down the vendor route that were traditional client relationships. Yeah, me and my team were working on. So that was the. That was so similar. I was put into the master vendor team of the government at Randstad in Australia, and oh, I was okay. on because they just won the the the, the tender yeah. to get on it. So they they created this team of mainly expats who uh, we didn't even get a commission structure, and we ran at this fucking you know all these government departments, and it was the most safe training ground for BD because there was no way they could really say no. They could say they don't want to work with you, but you'd already signed an agreement. So mm. there was no negotiation of fees or anything. It was just go out and build relationships. Um, those companies always have those relationships. It's a completely different way of working. What, yeah. I guess what made you leave then? Let's get into the, the MRG stuff. Why, why join and how did all that come about? <laughs> That's a really interesting one. So I was, um, I love telling this story because I've got a colleague still at MRG that hates the story. Right. So, the um so at the time um at, at Hayes I'd um I was really happy I was going along nicely you know hitting all the the, the, the sort of trajectory um moves that you want that you're expected to you know because at Hayes you were back then you were conditioned you've got you got a partial probation then you get promoted after six months then you get promoted after another six months you you would have had it at Ranster um I'd done all that and that was going really really well and what I'd, what I'd started to realise was that I, um, whilst I was managing the team at, at 20, and, and that was all great, and that's what I'd started to realise that I, I felt recruitment should be done in a slightly different way to what the mass market was doing. And I'd realised that what I really enjoyed was working with clients that were going to partner only with me and let me run their recruitment campaign for them. 
So I started going to, to all of these clients off of managed vendors that weren't working with managed vendors, so smaller public sector organizations, and saying to them, look, can you just partner with me? So, you know, it's nothing new. It's asking for exclusivity. But what I was doing, Hayes had a thing called Top, top Job Gold, which is basically selling some advertising as part of the campaign. And it was £1,000 or £1,500 up front, and then you'd run their campaign. And I wasn't bothered about the upfront fee. I was bothered about the fact that if they retained me and went with an advertised, allowed me to advertise publicly on, on their behalf, hmm. it shut the door to anybody else. Yeah. So I had their complete commitment. So I started doing that at Hayes over and over again with universities and um, other public sector organisations. And it was working really well. And, and I went down to a client in South Kensington, so you know one of the, one of the museums, and they'd actually invited me and, an, an, and another recruitment partner down to sort of go through a briefing session. And then they decide based on who had engaged the most, who they'd then appoint. Right. So I went down and it was a couple of colleagues, it was a couple of people from MRG. And I went down and I, I didn't know MRG that well because, you know, they were an emerging business at that time. But of course, everyone at Hayes knew them because the three founding directors were ex-Hayes. You had obviously Rob Smith, who'd only just left as MD the year before. Right. For, for Tim Cook to take over from, from Rob. And obviously you had Simon, who'd been the MD for International and, and Rob's deputy for many years. And, and I, I, gave, I kind of went back to Victoria and said, oh, look, you know, I've just been down to this client and they've appointed me, but they, went, they ran us through a really funny process. They asked us to both come along, do a briefing session, and then they'd appoint the, the firm that was the most engaged and they've appointed me and not MRG. So obviously colleagues back at Hayes, were, that, that were you know, they love that because it was kind of, oh, well, you know, we've... Um, We've got one over on, yeah. on all our old colleagues. Uh, anyway, a week later, I then got a call from from um, the guy I'd been up against, um, who I work with to this day, and he said, "Look, we're really impressed with you. We're a bit bruised that you, you know, you're doing that appointment. Um, yeah, would you like to come have a chat?" And I said, "No." I said, "I'm really happy with Hayes. I'm on a trajectory. I've never thought about joining an SME. Mm. No." And then about a week later, he had another bite, and. Um, I said, okay, look, I'll, I'll meet you. So I met, I met him. Um, I met, met Simon. I met the guys. And, and you know what, Sean, it caught a light for me because what I realised is that they would give me a completely free reign to build my own recruitment um, desk within the business. It would all be on a retained basis and I could go across the country and run my own campaigns. So it was the polar opposite to what I was doing at Hayes, where you're working in a corporate structure. At that time, I could only work on the London patch. I was quite limited to what I was doing. So all of a sudden, I thought, well, I can go from being a recruitment consultant doing the Hayes thing to being a proper management consultant for recruitment and go off and run all my campaigns in the way that I want to do it. Yeah. And I decided to go for it. And that was 2008. And what was the business like back then? Um, the bit, so they, they, they generated, you know, through through investment from, from colleagues, really, and through their own investment, they generated quite a lot of finance and they were investing heavily. So I joined and they'd probably added 25 people in the first year. Right. So they were really going for it. They're offering people an EMI scheme. That was attractive to me as well. Um, and we were, you know, they were absolutely flying. So at that time, they'd gone quite heavily into construction, into facilities management, into engineering and energy management and sustainability um and and i was brought in um with a colleague to sort of lead our public sector business 
And was it all and all experienced people they brought in? All experienced people. So the average age when I joined, so I'm joining as a 21 year old, and the average age was probably about 35 to 40. Right. And they're all working on a retained basis. So it's like an exact search firm, really. Yeah. It's. Yeah. Do you know what? What what we always said was that if you've got a triangle in terms of the the Christmas tree structure in yeah. corporate land, you've got your exec search business are in the top third of that triangle. So they'll generally operate a third, a third, a third in terms of their campaign fees, and they'll do C-suite level appointments. And then the bottom third of that triangle is your your volume recruitment. So you know administration professionals. Um, operational people through to middle management people. And we felt back then, and I think it's still the case now, that, that there was another model needed for that middle, so that 50K to 150K level campaign. Yeah. So your, your exec search firms won't drop down and do a 70, 80K campaign, salary level campaign. Um, and your contingent model, they won't do a you know, they probably won't do a 70, 80, 90K hire very well because actually they want to do it quickly. Yeah. You know, they want to get their appointment done quickly. And clients wanted a almost an exec search approach, but for these difficult to source mid-level roles. So that's where MRG came in. And we felt we can come into that 50 to 150K model, work on a retained basis with a slightly more disruptive charging structure and the client's... Um, you know, and our client, our chosen markets absolutely loved it and it worked really, really well. So that's what those guys were doing or trying to do at that stage because bear in mind, the business was only a few months old. So I came in and I was looking around thinking, wow, you know, this is quite inspiring, but I'm 15 years younger than everyone. There's a bit of imposter syndrome going on, but I just quietly got on with it, got into my client base and, and started to build a, a, where, build a reputation in that market. Where were you at in life? So, because this is an interesting you know, part of this story is that, you know, you went to uni, you didn't, you didn't, you left, right? So, but one of the, one of the benefits of, 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 you know, leaving uni is you then have three years on others to get, to go and make money and to go and build your career, right? At leaving uni for me at 21, I didn't have a, you know, a penny. I, I you know, and then, then it, no, I didn't make any money really until I was late 20s, 26, 27 was when I started earning commission in recruitment and my life changed. But for you, to get into recruitment at 18 and to be running divisions at, and then to be leaving on going to almost like you say, this almost exec search style firm at 21, forget the business side, but what, what was your personal life like? Had you earned a lot of money? Were you in a, do you think you'd developed a lot in that three years in, in, as a human? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, whilst some might say, you know, I lost I lost some life experience by not doing a three or four year uni term. I also gained a huge amount with with all of that experience at Hayes. You know, um, I'm sure it's a completely different business now to what it was then. But the, the training, the rigor, the routine that they either put in, you know, giving up at Hayes, I was managing people 10, 15 years older than me at times. Fantastic life experience. Um, and then joining MRG um, at uh, I just turned 21 fantastic life experience what that meant also for me by being three years ahead was that i'd actually met my um my now wife who was studying at king's college london um so it meant that i could for her final year i could rent a flat in london that we both stayed in and she could live rent free and finish it you know concentrate on finishing her, her degree um and then a year later 
uh, when she got on a graduate management program with Procter and Gamble, and we needed to move to Hertfordshire for that. We could um, rent um, a, you know, a really nice flat there, and then a year later we bought a house. So I think I had my my first house at 21, 22, yeah, and got on the property ladder earlier. Obviously, if you're coming out of uni at 21, you're thinking, yeah. oh, how on earth am I going to pay off my student debt and get some, you know, pay the rent? And at the moment, for people you know, in the, the rent market, in the mortgage market, it's impossible for young people. So that was a real, um, I was very fortunate with that. Um, I worked hard for it. I worked hard for every pound that I, that I earned, but but it meant I could get on the ladder that much earlier and, and move forward that much quicker. So yeah, I've now got a lot of mileage on the clock. Yeah, for 35, you've 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 been working a hell of a long time, haven't you? You've been working mm. for 17 years of, of yeah. professional work, which is... Yeah, you've definitely, you know, you've definitely been been at it. So let's go back to MRG then. And what year was that again? That was 2008. 2008 that I joined MRG, mid 2000 You're going into a difficult few years then after that. We talked yeah, about. Yes. <laughs> so I joined, um, I joined and, and you know, obviously the, the guys had generated some some significant cash to, to, to launch the business and add lots of people. Um, and... Um, late 2008, I think you had Northern Rock, and then 2009 it all went pear shaped. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we went down to we went down to probably ten people um, in 2009. So, so the guys had raised all this money, built the, you know put all this human capital into it, which was you know obviously recruitment is all about human capital, and we then had to to let some of these really good promising people go because there wasn't enough work on. Um, Fortunately for me, because I was in the public sector, that still took a hit as well. And obviously the coalition government came in and austerity. Yeah. And But I, I, I'd managed to develop some really, really good relationships up and down the country. And I've got, I was just out on the road the whole time, going to university campuses, going to NHS trusts, going to local authorities. And, and they were still retaining me to run their recruitment campaigns at that 50K to 120K level. And um, and as a result, my, my feeling was it was challenging for the business. Me and a few others in our space did pretty well and, and it helped sustain the business. And I have to say from 2010 onwards, every year got incrementally better and we slowly started building back, which I'm sure many of your other partners yeah. have probably um, talked to you about. I, I think it got incrementally better. And then we started to face a new challenge in the mid 2010s with skill shortages. And it was it was less around winning work but how the hell are we going to deliver for our clients in a, in a you know, very, very um, uh, competitive market for candidates? I'm interrupting today's episode to bring you a message from our sponsor, Vincere. Vincere, the all-in-one recruitment platform for the most innovative recruitment agencies on the planet. And they've put together a free CRM buyer's guide for you to read because so many recruitment leaders are looking to upgrade CRMs. But before you sign the contract, be sure to read the terms at least twice. There's so many common traps that you need to watch out for. So not understanding the pricing model is one that always comes up. Discounts limited to only the first year of a contract length is something that companies will throw. What are monthly contracts all about? Could this mean flexibility for the vendor to raise the price in the future? And how is your data hosted? Where is it? Is it anything outside your country? And could it mean compliance and legal issues for you down the line? So. You will see the web address to get that right next to this episode, 
wherever you're watching this episode, whether it's on LinkedIn or the Apple, Spotify, YouTube, just look below, you'll see the link, click the link and get that free guide. You will not regret learning all of these hacks before making your decision and locking yourself into a new contract with a new supplier. So again, I don't want to go into the nuts and bolts of you as a recruiter, because this shows about being a leader and an owner and a founder and all the rest of it. Um, but I want to know, like, what was your vision? Because you, you said earlier, when you were at Hayes, you were on this corporate path, you could see yourself being a director and even like the top of the tree. Was it the same picture for you when you joined MRG? You saw the founders and thought, well, I'll run this business one day, like you are today. Was that, was that always your vision? Yeah, I think I think my, my first vision was, right, I want to come in and really become an expert search campaign recruiter and to be recognized as the go-to person in my market. Mm. And 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 if you know that so that was that was plan A and and to be part of this plan to grow the business and take more shareholding. And then um once I'd sort of proven myself to all of these colleagues that thought, well, who's this, who's this, who's this young lad coming in from, from Hayes that's 15 years younger than us. We, you know, Simon told us that, you know, we were going to be a really grown up business and we've just signed a 21 year old. Mm. Um, so once I've proven myself, that was sort of plan A, it was then a case of, right. Okay. You know, I want to become the, the MD of this business in the future. You know, these guys have all got a plan. Rob and Howard have, you know, have got a plan. Simon's plan is slightly longer, you know. I I want to I want to grow and learn, and you know, get to the point where they trust me to take this business forward. And you knew that they had that plan. They were open about it. They were like, one day, some, yeah. they say like someone's going to take over this company, and it won't, you know, one of you guys. Yeah, they they um they were pretty they, they were pretty clear on on that. You know, obviously Howard and Rob had a a shorter uh window than simon um and and that was going to create opportunity so yeah simon was someone was fairly open with me i think once i proved myself perhaps simon saw something in me but he was pretty clear that you know he'd like me to to come on that journey um and i learned i've learned a huge amount along the way because because being a a director or an md in a 20 30 40 50 person business is hugely different to doing a managerial role in a corporate i mean they are just chalk and cheese um and yeah you have to roll your sleeves up and you learn a huge amount as i'm sure you've found mm. launching your own business over the last five years mm. you have to do everything i was i was binding packs for management meetings myself you know yeah so everything. how did it how did your career progress then from becoming that go-to guy to to moving into the md what was the kind of what were the logical steps in between yes yeah, so, so all the while I've, I've still been practicing in recruitment so i've still been running recruitment campaigns um and i think i think there's probably like a um two um pathways that i've been on so so one is taking on the, the business leadership responsibility so so the first step was taking on the london office at the time we had a london office and a twickenham office with broadly um 10 to 15 people in each. Um, Simon generally ran the, the you know, Twickenham because that's where he was based at the time. And, and therefore I ran London. So that was the sort of first piece. And London was quite multifaceted. There was still some contingent recruitment going on at that time. Now we're, now we're all retained apart from one division. Um, so I was managing things like construction and uh, construction, residential development, 
commercial development, the real estate, as well as the public sector business. So quite a, quite a diverse range of businesses, but all under the sort of real estate and facilities management banner. So I was running London. Um, whilst I was running London, um, the board felt that um, I'd progressed significantly enough to, to become a board director. So I moved from being a, direct, a business director to a board director. Started moving from sitting in the management meetings to the board meetings. And that was fascinating and eye-opening in terms of you know, risk management, um, investment dis- planning, budgeting, um, obviously PL. Um, and and then so I, and, and then I got promoted to deputy MD. So I got promoted to deputy MD about six years ago. So I did this, I had this re- relatively reasonable um, progression. Um, and that obviously was then, you know, in Simon's absence, he was handing more and more over to me to effectively deputize for him for. Why was his absence? Was he starting to slow down or? No, not really. No, um, he would just delegate more things to me. The other thing is, is he'd go in, in years gone by, he would have gone to Robert as chairman or Howard as finance director for a view. And as they were starting to slow down, he'd start coming to me for a view on things and we'd, we'd make decisions on things. And then when they both retired, it was very much, um, me and him, and then two of our newer directors coming through, Michael Hewlett and Matthew Evans, who um, you know now form our board with our FD um, and our marketing director. So we um, you <laughs> saw this transition of Robert and, and Howard retiring, and the new board coming through. And, and my job was very much to to lead that because I've been part of the old board um, as the junior member, and now I was being brought through as Simon's successor. And, and we were forming a new board. So that all happened sort of you know, middle 2000s. And then the, 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 you know, over the last three or four years, we've really accelerated that. So when you say you go, you know, from management meetings to board meetings, what's in it for you apart from the experience? Did, was, there, was there then an equity provision and, and a plan that was like, right, we're going to start putting you, giving you more of this business? Yeah, absolutely. So, so you know, we were, we were getting rewarded really, really well along the way. You know, they're the, the, the valued. They really valued what we did, both from a a client, you know, an original campaign origination perspective. Because you know, part of my, the other change was I was now rather than winning and delivering my own work, I was originating work at a rate that I couldn't deliver myself, even with the delivery team. So I was originating work for colleagues, and. Um, letting them run the campaign. So part of my job, I felt as a business leader was not only to run the business and steward the business, make the right investment decisions and the right risk management decisions, but it was to, um, you know, still um, play my part in originating work for the, for the company. And I've, I've started to do that more and more. And then of course, the beauty of that is you then hand over to people that then originate themselves and everything multiplies. Um, So yeah, it was, um, it, it was it was a real it was a real challenge managing it all. We got looked after along the way, but of course Simon recognised that we needed to change the shareholding. So um, I was apportioned um, shares um, about four or five years ago, which clearly buys you in and incentivises you. Um, and then we've gone through another um, exercise to to apportion some more. So we've slowly got this model of. Simon's shareholding um, coming down um, and the shareholding of the, the board directors and indeed some of the management team 
going up and we're looking at options as well um, at the moment. So you, you start to create a model that has got a huge partnership culture, um, but of course helps retain your key people and, and is very, very attractive if we decide to do an outright MBO with it or we decide to do um, you know, look at PE investment or, or, or an acquisition or whatever it might be. Right. And during this process, have you ever thought about creating your own business? Because you are classic top performer, great leader. You know, you've got the skills to go out and do that. The, the biggest challenge with a lot of recruitment founders is they didn't do the leadership bit very well. They, they were great billers and then they start a business and they don't scale because they, they can't, grow people they just it's all about them and that and that's fine if they choose to build a business around them and they're comfortable but often they're not comfortable with it and they just have this yo-yo of growth um mm. you're the kind of guy i think that has got the foundational skills to then go out maybe take investment or whatever and build a business that that has significant growth um so did you think about that and why didn't you go down that route um that's a great question, and one I've been—that is one I've been asked. That is one I've been asked by by lots of people. I've got friends that are recruitment business owners. Um, you know, I've had colleagues ask me that question, um, and and yeah, it, it's obviously something I've thought about. You know, when you get asked the question, you think about it, you think about it some more. Um, but I, I would actually say I haven't actually—I I never really came that close to it. Um, I think that things have been, don't get me wrong, it's been challenging from a business leadership perspective at times. Um, but, but I always really trusted what we were trying to do here. Um, I trusted Simon. I trusted that Simon would um, uh, afford me and some of the other team members that are coming through a proportion of the business as we went along. And I felt that it was in his best interest to do that yeah. because you know, if he owns all the business, and he tries to sell it and um you know we also well we're not we're not bought in we're just going to move off and do our own thing then you know there's, there's no value in the business is there because yeah, yeah, yeah. you know the business the value real value is the human capital um so um yeah i think simon did a brilliant job at keeping me engaged the whole way through the process so he did a good job at making sure that that i was on the trajectory that i wanted in terms of the business you know, gaining more business leadership experience and more exposure um, I think he looked after me and others really well along the way. Um, and there was always this vision of even when there are bumps in the road, you know, we're going to look at the shareholding or we're going to do something on the shareholding. We've done something on the shareholding um, and, you know, the potential if we do do something with this business in the future is really, really exciting. Um, so I, I think that the that that was a really, really good feature. I also think that you know, it was generally speaking, we've had some challenges, but but the vision for what we're going to do with the business has always been there. So I felt that well, well why why go off and do that when I'm happy with the stewardship of the business? The other thing, Sean, is I'm still relatively young, as you mentioned earlier. Yeah, yeah. Got a lot of mileage on the clock, but I'm relatively young. So I really want to do this MRG journey, and for me, I've been in it for so long now. I'm not going to leave now. I'm invested in it. Um, I want to do something with it and I want to reach the top of the mountain with it. And then maybe in my 40s or my 50s, I can do something again. Or I'll do something for myself. So 
I kind of think, well, there's no desperate rush to go off and do something on my own because I'm really enjoying it. Everything's going well here, supporting the, 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 my life and my family. So if it's not broken, don't fix it. Others might turn around to me and say, well, go off and do something for yourself, Ben. What do you mean? You know, you, you're naive, but everyone's, in, you know, it's all relative to your own personal drivers, isn't it? And that that's why I really wanted to interview you today because I think I don't want to just promote that you have to start a business to be successful in this industry because... I'd call you an entrepreneur as opposed to an entrepreneur. You've mm. done it. You've done it within the business. From within, yeah. yeah but you're still you're still at the top of the tree. You still got equity. You still you still got an amazing. You know, you've got a bigger potential exit plan than half the entrepreneurs who are not growing. So, you know, you've got something there. Tell me about your life then. So you're 35 years old. Um, you were already, you know, in a relationship in your at such an early age. You were already renting a flat for your your now wife. You. You probably did things in the early twenties that most of us didn't do. Um, what is what? What does life look like outside of work right now? Um, yeah, it's a good point. When I look at my life, I've got some colleagues, some great colleagues here at MRG now that are living in London in their early thirties, and they've had a brilliant time in their twenties. And you know, they're living in London, they're renting, they haven't settled down yet, and they're having a great time, and that's their life. And then they look at me, and sometimes they say, "Oh my God, Ben, you're two years older than me, and look at you." you know, like a middle-aged man. Um, so what, is, what does that look like? 20, so uh, you bought, bought the first house early 20, 21, 22. Um, we had our first son at 24. So now I have an 11-year-old boy. Um, uh, we had our daughter um, at uh, 26, I was 26. Um, so uh, then we moved again um so through my 20s yeah by the time i got to 30 i think we're on our third house in terms of ownership yeah um two children and um we added our third child last year um so a bit of a bit of a gap for for various reasons it is a big gap yeah the two older ones are brilliant with him though we've got two ready-made sort of short-term childminders that it's been he's been a brilliant addition um there's a couple of reasons around that. My, my, my wife sadly lost her mum two or three years ago, or three years ago, actually. Um, and, and that was part of the reason why there was a bit of a gap because we were dealing with with, with yeah, long-term yeah. illness. Um, but um, yeah, I'm stopping at three, I can assure you. I'm, I'm, uh, it's I'm, mad. I'm, my, I'm, obviously, we're similar age and my life's yeah. gone a completely different way to yours. But in, in, a, in a funny way, so I got married, what, a month ago. I saw, fantastic. Congratulations. Appreciate, but I met my yeah. wife when I was 23, 24. So I met her when I was leaving the UK. So we were, I was a teacher in Sheffield and I was going traveling. That's when I then landed in Australia and got my recruitment career started. But I met her just before I left and she was a teacher just starting off and I was just kind of finishing off. Not that I knew I was ending my career, but I knew I was leaving. We had this really short relationship, two months, and it was brilliant. And then, and then I went away and that was it. And, and she got pregnant two years later and, and had, a, had a first child and I moved back to the UK, I moved to London. And I remember congratulating her on Facebook and that was it. And mm. we didn't talk. And then, then I ended up living in London in Essex, getting married and then splitting up and leaving in, in the pandemic to go back to Manchester. Yeah. Um, thinking I'm 33, almost 34. Was I 34? I was 34. I got married at 33. Yeah. 34. I, and I'm, I'm, I'm back to square one. I'm, I've got a dog. I'm living in this flat. I'm running a business. I'm like, 
what? Like, how have I got? Because I imagined, you know, I'd be married in London and I'd have a, I'd have a kid quite People soon. have this linear, if you're brought yeah, you, up you, in you, a certain way, you have this linear, right, I'll get married, then I'll have a child, bite your houses. Yeah, you have this linear hey, view in life, don't you? I created it's this vision. I was obsessed with this yeah. vision, I think. And and actually, the person in the vision was the wrong person. And that's why it didn't mm. work. And then, so then I got back to Manchester and then, and then we got, I realised that she, you know, she wasn't, she didn't look like there was any man in, man in her life online, and we still followed each other. So I, mm. I, I dropped her a message, and uh, it turned out she was single, and I was single, and that was that. We literally met up a couple Amazing. of months later, and, and we were back straight. It was like we we'd kind of, you know, we'd not had any time apart. But then I didn't meet her. She had two kids. So then I've got now mm. a stepdaughter who's turning ten and a stepson who's turning eight. So Brilliant. I'm not I'm not that far apart from you. No, and no, I've, you've got, I've you've missed got, those yeah, years. Yeah. I've missed those years, but then we want one of our own. And um, we've had two miscarriages this year, which is why we got married. <sighs> so, we got married so fast because we got we got pregnant in. We started trying in March, got pregnant in April, lost it. Got pregnant in May, end of May, and then we got engaged at the beginning of July, and then we lost the baby via an ectopic <sighs> within a week of being engaged. So then we were like, "How the hell do we get married?" How do we get married if we keep, mm. you know, getting pregnant, losing babies? So we were like, let's just do it. So we, we, we planned a three-month wedding with the plan that after the wedding's done, we can then, you know, if we get pregnant, brilliant. If we don't, whatever, it's on our terms. We're not worried about this big wedding day and, you know, her dress yeah. and all that shit. Yeah. Um, but I've, the reason I'm passionate about this and want to tell, talk about it is because that one child that I want and she, we both want, I've often thought, what will that dynamic be like? Because the the gap... Oh. And, the older and, two will absolutely dote on it. Mm. We, my, my wife in particular really agonised over over the the, the gap. Uh, the, the, it's brilliant. Yeah. It's brilliant. It's different, you know. Obviously, you know, for for us, we're doing all this stuff over again. But the dynamic with the two older ones, your two older ones, will absolutely, yeah. Because yeah. it's things That's like you know, times ahead. Things like in the morning, they get ready themselves, right? I can help, we can help them out and we make the breakfast. Away. But they're, they're getting self-sufficient now, right? Yeah. They, yeah you, your challenges to... around their social calendar, their sports stuff, you know, yeah. that's what your challenge yeah. is. Yeah, we're, we're at an age, it's funny, we had Gabriel's birth, it was his birthday party last night, actually. It's next week because he was, his friend at school, he had a joint party and, and Amira was in the, <laughs> she's only, she's two years older, not 18 months older and she's moping around this playground thing. We're in this inflatable park thing and yeah. she's moping right. like... And we're like, I was like, what's wrong with you? She goes, I don't want to hang around with these babies. And I'm like, what? Like, she's in that year I've lived with her. She's now, you know, she's going on 16. Yeah, she thinks she's a teenager soon and everything's changing. But so, yeah, hopefully, mate, I'll go through that. But it is fun. It's funny to see, you know, uh, you've, you've kind of created that journey and you've been able to maintain your career. A lot of people say you can't do both. Like, you know so many people say if you're gonna you've got to you've got to especially in london you've got to kind of put family to one side you've got to put relationships to one side and and that's why everyone in london does do things i'd say five even ten years yeah. later than the north of england like my mates i grew up with have all got three four kids if, yeah i mean we're on the I, yeah i mean i live i live in um in a place called shenfield now which, know, which yeah. is next to brentwood towie fame yeah that's it um uh, so obviously it's commuter belt, you know, it's commuting, you know, people commute into or did commute into the city. And if I go to the school gate where we are, a, you know, a good proportion of the parents are five to 10 years older than me, yeah, or my first son. Because, you know, you're absolutely right. Um, 
it's so hard for people you know you know most people are are both working they're both doing their professional careers you know when you know at what point do you maybe move out of london you know get a bit more space um so yeah i see it all the time i see it here at mrg with people you know lots and lots of people now are starting families later due to the challenges that i think are going on in society really so i was just fortunate because i started you know coming back to your point earlier I started at 18, so I had a little bit of a head start. Happened to meet my wife or my then wife, um, and um, and I, you know, so just I'd sort of settled down into a career that much earlier. So and then we'd settled down into a house. So then we settled down into having kids. When is that? Can you take me back to a time where that might have been difficult? Like when have because you know we've obviously it sounds so far your story sounds pretty pretty linear. Like you've had kids, you got married. You've, you've gone and you know built your bit you built your career you become the md it sounds fucking brilliant but i know reality is not like when yeah. when have you when have you found that balance between doing what simon wants and trying to get up that ladder and push that and also doing what your wife needs and you could need like when yeah. have, when have you got that wrong do you think or when have you struggled with that I, I i've definitely got it wrong at various stages i think i think as i've got older um and i've got i've got better people around me i've managed to delegate a bit better um i we, we did some behavioral profiling and my conscientiousness came out as excessive i want to do a really really good job and if i don't trust someone to do a good job i'll almost try and do it for them which mm. is a huge problem for me if you, yeah, as you've mentioned if you're trying to scale a business and you're trying to do everything yourself because you think that you're the best person to do it you're not going to get anywhere mm. and that's been a huge problem for me and that's probably on occasions why um I've overworked, I've, I've worked excessively and I've, I've got the kind of balance wrong. Um, and I still struggle with that to this day. I think I'm getting better at delegation and, and you know, I think that comes from getting really good people around you that you can trust because you're happy to delegate the work to them. Um, but I do have a tendency to just overwork to get a result. And I think it, in terms of a moment in time where that was really difficult, I think I look back to when we had our first son. And if you look at the era then, this was still a five days a week in the office era. Yeah. All of my meetings were in person. My remit was trying to run a business. I was trying to trying to build that London office, um, trying to work my way up, like you said. Um, so I needed lots of face-to-face -face time with, with people in the business. But I was also out working with clients and, yeah. and helping them, you know, running recruitment campaigns for them. So I was working extremely long hours. I was out every day of the working week um and i had you know my my wife was relatively young a young mother at that stage um we didn't have we had some family reasonably close but not a sort of scenario where you you know the grandma yeah, pops yeah. around every day to help and i was leaving my wife for 16 17 hours a day with a newborn to work it all out for herself and she did amazingly well but when i look back on that you know, it was quite, you know, routinely, I wasn't seeing him during the week. Um, uh, yeah, and I've got some regret around that. You know, um, was it was it worth it? Could I, could I have still made the progress? But 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 have, have helped my wife a little bit more and been around. I think we were Probably. living in a different time, though. I think even we were living in a different time. Even yeah. twenty nineteen, early twenty twenty, it was like flexibility in recruitment was like 
you get a laptop. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We were, you know, we were quite progressive. We were we were better at that, but we were still miles away from where we are now. It's not, not so even my work well. from home a day a week back then. But so what about now then? You've got a you know, you got is it a son you've got now? Is it another got, son? Yeah, it's a boy, girl, boy. Yeah. Right. So you've yeah. got another son, you've got another chance to do this now. So what what's yeah. different? How do you set yourself up so that you can or do you set yourself up differently so that you can I've, be, I've, be there? I've still... I've still got to work at it, Sean. I, I, you know, I'm still not. I'm still not nailing it. I think. Um, I think if you were to bring my wife on the podcast, she'd <laughs> say sometimes two. he gets it right. Oh, yeah, two, exactly. She'd say sometimes he gets it right, and and sometimes he gets it wrong. I, I think. Um, I think when I'm playing off a ten and I'm, and I'm well organised, I will and I and I can keep my routine right. I, I can strike that balance. So if I've got my, I've got the, the the fitness work booked into my diary every single day is a sacred part of of my life. That affects my energy and my mood. And you, and when do you train? I tend to block it out, Sean, depending on what I'm doing. So um, I'll, you know, some days I'll have it blocked out in a morning session because it works with what I'm doing. Some days I'll do an evening session. Some days I do a late afternoon session because it works in terms of my energy levels, because I then find that I get home and I'm in a far better frame of mind for the family. So, yeah. But the most important thing is that it's blocked in. If I don't book it in, I don't do it, and then my body and mind goes haywire and I'm really not, a, you know, I'm, I'm playing off for one. It's, it's, it has a huge effect on my, my, my well-being and then the interactions that I have with people around me, particularly my family. Um, so, so Jen, my wife, would say, you know, if I'm if I'm organised, I've I've kind of done my well-being stuff for the day, and I've blocked time out for the family. I almost have to compartmentalise it. Where I'm saying, right, this time is sacred. I'm going to do the school run on Friday morning. I'm going to take James to his football. Well, I'll always take James to his football or his cricket. That's kind of a sacred part of my routine. You know, I'll never miss a football match for him. Well, I don't. I can't now because I'm the manager. But you know, all those <laughs> things. If I don't block it out. I will generally let my family down because something will come up at work and I'll be like, well, I've got to do the work thing. And, and that's, that's, an, that's still an issue for me to this day and I need to continue to work on that. But the good news is I'm aware of it now. Whereas I think 10 years ago when James was little, my eldest, it was like, well, I've got work comes first, work comes first, work comes first. Mm. And I'm just very fortunate that, that Jen was incredibly patient and resilient and, and that we worked through that moment in our lives. But if I had my time again... I would have tried to come up with some coping mechanisms around that and, and balance my priorities a bit better. So I think to, to any listener out there that's maybe working their way up, working their way up, working their way up, it's a very, very long career that you're in. Mm. And I, I would just say, it, it, you know, try and try and create a bit of a mind map where you've got a balance around your social relationships, a balance around your family relationships, a balance around your health and well-being um whether that's fitness or whatever it might be although for me that's huge and a balance with your work that doesn't mean that you plod along in each of them you could run at the absolute rev limiter throughout a week but you've got to make sure you've got a balance in, in what you yeah, want yeah, from yeah. your life because if you owe if you bias one too much and that doesn't go well or it breaks i think you're in a bad place then like you said though the plan is the key right and i'm the same i've got my personal yeah. training session i've got my running sessions it's all in yeah. the diary so it's like i have to put it in the diary though I don't, don't feel, it, I don't feel don't, comfortable. It doesn't happen, right? And it goes yeah. wrong, and then you feel bad about it. It's a vicious circle. Guilt. That's you what I feel. Guilt. Yeah, you create guilt. Um, 
It's funny though. Again, I I, I can hundred percent empathise. When I was in my recruitment career in London, you know, I wouldn't have been. I was out every day. I was Lloyd's of London City recruitment. I You're was just in... reacting to things. You're reacting to someone wanting to go for a drink. You're reacting yeah. to a problem. Yeah. But I didn't have a girlfriend. I didn't have a yeah. girlfriend for a bit of it. And when I did, it, you know, she wouldn't live together for that long. And when we did, we still didn't have that much responsibility. So it was easy for me to do that. Um, looking at my my wife now and the situation we're in, it would have been completely different. And actually. I'm in a different, my business now is built around post-pandemic life. So mm. I go to London every couple of weeks. I go to Manchester every couple of weeks, but most of my life is at home on Zoom, you know. So I am there to help in the morning. I am there to go to the parties and stuff. And sometimes I feel guilty that I'm not giving work enough. It's mad. I feel like sometimes I'm I'm almost always, always there. So it's like, you've got to... Oh, yeah, I mean, it's it's about it's about it's about balance, and, and like you say, the, my coping mechanism is to is to plan. And when I plan, I feel like I've got a new lease of life, and I'm winning. When I'm holding on to the roller coaster because I'm just reacting and bouncing from one thing to another, whether it's work, personal, family, whatever it might be, it's the most stressful thing ever for me. Yeah, I agree. Um, and yeah, there are some occasions, there are some weeks because I've got a lot of family demands where you just things are thrown at you, and you're thinking, oh, you know especially with my sort of conscientious nature, I'm thinking I'm being negligent to work. This is no good. And then that causes anxiety. So yeah, for me, the coping mechanism is, is, is not just planning your work, but planning everything, planning your life really. And, and that, that, that makes me I've feel literally, so much I've literally got a spreadsheet that I call my week. Um, Brilliant. It, it's like a blocked out 30 minute by 30 minute weekly diary that, it's all color coded and like I, I'll, I don't look at it in, and, and change it. I, that's kind of like my 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 set week that I want your to framework. Run. Yeah, yeah. And then each week will be a slight variation of it, but mm. I know these are the days I do what I do, and and I, and, it, and it works for me as well. I'm very similar to you. Um, you should copyright that. That could be yeah. That could be that could be a very yeah. valuable uh, piece of kit. Could be. Yeah, I might put yeah. it into my academy, my training program. Yeah. Um, in terms of your career now. How, and you mentioned it early on, you've, you know, you've, you've had a career of managing up people older, you know, you walked yeah. into a business 15 years younger, but do you think the fact that you, you've got that, you know, you've got two kids at the age of 10, you've been married for so long, you've been in relationships, you've been in work for that long. Do you think you've probably, you're almost on a par with some of these older people in, in where their lives are at? You know, you've always, you're able to think like an, a slightly older person and, and give that comfort to people younger or whatever because of the things you've done yeah yeah absolutely i think when you put it like that i think i think what i've been able to do is is to empathize with people because i have had significant life experience by working for 17 years and counting for having quite a lot of exposure to uh, business leadership and management at a relatively young age. Although I would I would caveat that by saying it's only at MRG. You know, I wouldn't know what I wouldn't know what, what on earth it's like to sit on a board in a different type of industry or to work in a big recruitment business at a senior level because I haven't done that. But, but yeah. at MRG and in, in terms of you know a 50, 60 person growing SME, I've, I have got lots of lived experience of that. But yeah, I think I think I can talk to people from all different walks of life. Um, yeah, having had quite a lot of life experience around, you know, what happens to people in life, that their work, that they experience challenges sort of personally and professionally, they have family situations. 
um, they, their financial challenges, they move house, they lose loved ones. I have had all those things happen to me. So um, I, you know, hopefully I've got a degree of sympathy and empathy with people, um, you know, when they're going through things. And I think hopefully that has helped me with, you know, we've got a group of people now aged from sort of 25 to 35 that are embarking on some of the things that I've been through. That's mm. helped me. But then we've also got some people at 45 and 50 that might have children at the same age that I have. So I can empathise with them as well. So I can't empathise with everybody because there are some hugely unique people out there that, that I haven't experienced what they've experienced. I can try and sympathise with them. But yeah, I do think having been through all of that, it's hopefully helped me be a good colleague or mentor or or or, or boss, um, if we can call it that, or or, um, or consultant out with, with clients and yeah. candidates that we work with. Gives you that rounded, you know, aura. And I'm getting it from you on this call. You know, you can, you know, I can imagine people will confide in you. They'll trust you and they'll, they'll respect what you've done. Um, we're, we're almost out of time. I can't believe how quick this has gone. In, what's next then? So, you know, you, you, you're 35. We know where you are in your life. You, you're, now the, you're now the MD. Um, Simon's still around, who's one of the founding team. You mentioned there's a bit of a you know, a potential of, 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 of events and things in the future. But like, if you were to project five years or whatever into the future, what, what are you driving for? What's your North star that you want to, you want to achieve now? So, um, we, as a business, we don't have a, a you know, definitive view on what we do, do over the next three or four or five years. And obviously yeah. from, from my perspective, um, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I've got to be aligned with what we want to do with the business. Otherwise, if my personal ambitions aren't aligned with the business ambitions, then we're in the wrong place, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I think as a, as a board, we we're all very, very aligned in that we've got a brilliant hand that we can play now. The business is doing really, really, really well, and it's an exciting time. We've had some moments in the past where I felt that the culture of the business needed refinement we needed to get people that shared our values in and we didn't quite have a, the, the right culture we've now got a brilliant culture both in the uk and in our emerging international areas so the culture and the feel of the business is great um we feel that we can run it as a going concern really really successfully and have a great time over the next three four five years um and get get you know and it can be really rewarding so we think we can grow the UK business steadily and diversify some of those brands. But we also think we can get huge growth out of landing in, in some of these different um, locations internationally. So we think we can probably get quite a lot of growth through, through both of those strategies. And we will continue to run it really, really successfully as a going concern. That said, if somebody came in that we felt was the right partner to back a significant MBO or to acquire us if we felt that they could really help us take it to the next level. Um, or there was PE backing that was going to help us to do that. And we felt they were the right partner. We'd have definitely entertain that as well. So we've got a really nice hand to play, Sean, because mm. if the right partner came and approached us and we thought there was a brilliant synergy and we could, we could retain the culture of the business and, and, and grow it over the next five to 10 years, that'd be hugely exciting or we can continue to run it over the next five to 10 years. And actually both would suit me. Mm. Um, it would suit the, you know, cause I'm enjoying the role now. And I think I've still got a lot of time to grow in the role, 
I need to progress and become more and more strategic, you know, um, look at look at how we can grow. I think I've got a lot to learn around talking to potential partners because that's something I don't have a huge amount of experience in. So I've got a lot to learn and experience over the next few years there if that happens. Um, and that aligns perfectly with where I am with my, my family. And I've still got to try and win that battle of being the best version of myself at home and the best version of myself at work and not let one rob the other. So um, hopefully that's not too vague for you, but that we've makes got sense. a good hand to play. We can go either way with this at the moment. Makes sense, Ben. Makes sense. I think <clears throat> what I've took from this episode is that, you know, you've made some really strategic decisions. Um, you're part of a, you know, you're part of a, a company that's moved in, in a direction that suited you the whole time. And if it, and if it hadn't, then you probably would have gone separate ways. But absolutely, I think I think Simon and it's credit to those guys that have done an incredible job at keeping someone like you on that path, keeping me on and, the path at the right moments. Yeah, yeah. and so yeah. many don't get that right. You know, I I was probably someone that had my previous bosses kept a certain level of relationship with and thought about. I probably wouldn't have ever left them and and could have been in yeah. a role like you, but it just didn't. Our directions changed, and and it's no one's fault. It's just the way it went. Um. And, and I've had people work for me that, you know, probably could have took over some of the stuff I've done, but I, I didn't see it and I didn't manage it well. And, 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 and they've gone and done other things, which is, is good for them. So it's a really good example of that. Staying together can be a great option. Um, mm. Look, if anyone wants to speak to you, Ben, if anyone's been inspired by your story, a consultant, a manager, director, whatever, someone who's going through perhaps that journey, would you be open to giving them a little bit of time and supporting them? Oh, of course, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm. I think the recruitment industry is a fantastic industry, and the people that want to really add value and do the best possible job that they can do make make a fantastic impact to um, to people's lives. It's a win win win. You can deliver a brilliant outcome for an organisation and a person, um, and of course um, yourself. So. Yeah, anybody that, that that feels that they might get some benefit from from chatting, I'd be delighted to. Yeah, amazing. All right, well, look, we'll get that. Um, we'll get you connected to all the all the content that goes out. Obviously, your your LinkedIn profile is connected, and hopefully, people will reach out. Um, but Ben, thanks for being so open with us today. It's really, you know, it's a slightly different flavor of episode, but I've enjoyed it. I hope you have. Um, and I'd like to get you on again in the future and see how your career evolves and how the business evolves. Thanks, Sean. I've really enjoyed it. I really appreciate the opportunity. And uh, yeah, if um, if the listeners um, are able to take anything away from it, then I'll be really pleased with that. Legend. All right, buddy. We'll, uh, we'll get you on again in the future, but you stay safe. Take care of yourself. Cheers, Sean. Thank you, as always, for listening to today's show. I truly, truly hope that you got value from it. That's the only reason I take time every week is to ensure that my audience, future and existing recruitment owners are learning from each other to make this industry that I love so much stronger. Today's episode was brought to you by Hoxo Media. I am the CEO and founder of Hoxo Media and we are the world's leading content marketing and personal branding agency for recruitment businesses specifically. So we are working with over 200 agencies and 2000 recruiters right now both managing the brands, producing content, building written video podcast content for niche recruitment agencies all over the world, as well as coaching at a desk level, individual recruiters in your businesses, how to be better on LinkedIn. That's how to brand themselves. That's how to produce content. That's how to use 
the opportunity on LinkedIn to get traffic to their profiles and turn that into business. We're coaching people all over the world every single day. If any of that sounds of interest, please do visit www.hoxomedia.com or drop me, Sean Anderson, a personal message on LinkedIn. I would love to talk to you. I'll see you soon.